Welcome back to the Cycling Tips Tour Daily, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz, and this is round two with this intro. <laughs> because I, I well, uh, make culpa here. It wasn't that your mic wasn't working, Ian. It was that I didn't hit the button to make it be on. Oh, thank you for not throwing me under the bus there. I appreciate that. So now we're, we're trying again. We only got a couple minutes in, uh, but we're going to try again here for this intro. Johnny, can you set the scene for us today? Yeah, we're outside the press room. The time trial finished about 10, 15 minutes ago. Just on the bit of tarmac where just journalists pass by. Car, untold number of cars and vehicles pass by. It's where we ate our lunch. Um, inside is another, yet another sweaty basketball court with... Without proper roof or windows, it's just a greenhouse. <laughs> I cannot wait to not go inside one of these places again for a long time. 11 I'm, months. I'm currently looking at Le Keep's Alex Roos, and he's smoking a cigarette as he often does. And once he's finished this conversation, I might try and sort of um, F1 style bring him over and ask him for his rating of the tour. But yeah. I, I'm going to have to put my big boy brave pants on because I imagine he doesn't want to be disturbed. And he's now quite far away. <laughs> I don't know him well enough to beckon him over. Uh, maybe some some Roos context. Yes, he is the man. I first became aware of him. He's obviously been around for much longer, but in 2020, when he described Primoz Roglic after he lost the stage 20 time trial as a fridge who we found out had feelings. <laughs> and ever since then, I've just been fascinated by him. He write, He opens his articles with so many commas, more commas than I'm ever brave enough to put in. There's a lot of clauses. It's very in, French writing, and paragraph. it suits. It suits, you know, writing about the Tour de France. He's coming over. Alex, could you could you very briefly tell us how like how this Tour de France ranked for you in terms of previous ones you've seen? Did you enjoy it? Did you think it was a good race? Um, so it was my uh, Tour de France number eleven, uh, top two for sure with the 2019 edition with uh, all the drama around Thibaut Pinot for the French guys, it was quite important. Uh, but I think I've never seen such a level of uh, racing during three weeks and such an amazing stage, the one in uh, Granon. So, wonderful tour. Amazing, thank you very much. I agree. I agree entirely. Uh, and and funny, funny enough, uh, Alexander and I have been doing, I think I have one more tour than him. Oh. I think I'm on 12, I think, but I remember starting around the same time. Uh, the two of us quite young men here in the press room, uh, not as young anymore, roughly 11, 12 years older. But in that same amount of time that I've been covering this race, I would, I would have a very similar response, which is that, I mean, 2019 and the, and the Thibaut Pinot story was not quite as important to me. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure, though? As, as you know, it was the good. lead cycling writer at L'Equipe. Um, I don't remember 2019 as being a particularly Pinot year. Yeah. That was he the was right out there. Year. That was definitely uh, the elephant leap. Yeah, but he was like, um, oh, he was waiting, right. wasn't he? He was waiting in the wings and he was about to yeah. zoom up and Pino then he hit his was knee on his doing well. or something. He won on the Tourmalet. <laughs> And then he there was crying. That, yeah, he, he was crying. And then there was just on French TV, there were just like uh, replay highlights packages of him crying in mm. a car, over and, and over then again. pictures of him crying whilst getting a massage in his underpants yep. with his enormous Pinot Pin uh, just there for all to see. This is true. This happened. <laughs> I remember it very distinctly. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that so was. So we need to now put the explicit rating on this podcast yeah. again, and we've, we've gone so very good. quickly from lovely insight from a the keep journalist to us talking about Gutted things journalism. we talk about. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, but I, I think that I would have this a similar response, which is that this this is one of the top two that I have that I have covered. Um, maybe the best. I, I will say, you know, again, it, I have not been doing this for 30, 40 years like some people in the press room have. I've been watching the Tour de France for, for roughly that long. And I think it's one of the best that I can recall. And I think the best that I have personally covered. So the best since 2010. Yeah. Did I do this in 2010 or 2011? <laughs> what is time, Kaylee? I, I don't the 2011 one was the first one that I ever watched. I genuinely, I think it was 11. It was. So I've been the lying Kiddo this one. whole time. The Kiddo one. Yeah, so I'm on 11, on 11. 11 years. So, okay. so Roos and I were the same. Same number of years. <laughs> you have to issue numerous correct. You have to go around for your each individual correction corner to everyone you've been oh, telling. You've that's done twelve. A lot of correction corners. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we do get this far into the race, and, and you get a little you get a little buggered. Um, no, yeah, 2011 was my first Tour de France because I have a distinct memory of almost being trampled by Cadell Evans after that final time trial where he took over the yellow jersey and then was surrounded by. A giant gaggle of reporters, the sort of thing that doesn't tend to happen as much anymore with COVID and not being allowed in places. Uh, and I was just sitting on the steps, hanging out quietly by myself near the end of the Tour de France, very tired. And from behind me, a stampede of press corps and Cadell Evans's feet. When when he won that tour, I imagine he was described in Le Keep as looking like a pit bull chewing a wasp. <laughs> that was my... Because I'd never watched the tour before and I saw this this small Australian man just doing all these things I was like what is going on it was not how you'd imagine sort of Tour de France cyclist to be but yeah now Kale's a lovely man though uh, anyway we've gotten slightly off track here yep shock <laughs> slightly <laughs> off track should we go through what happened on the we stage we should talk about what happened in the stage <laughs> today after how many minutes of talking um, yes yeah, Swat on the stage Jonas Vingo Tadej Pogaccio Garant Thomas in fourth Sons Gile so he went a bit, quite, a bit he faster he remembered this time 32 seconds down on Van Aert, closer to the two men above him in the GC. We're out through the other names. World time trial champion Filippo Ganna could only do fifth, 10 seconds slower than Thomas. Balcomolema, Teo Cataneo, Fred Wright in eighth, who at one point was going faster than Filippo Ganna, and uh, his DS told him that. And Fred was like, right, I better slow down then, because otherwise things are going to go very badly for me. Max Schachmann and Jan Traknik rounding out the top 10. So I mean, there's movement on GC as well. Alexander Vlasov jumped two places to fifth. Nari Quintana dropped down to sixth. Bardet moved up one seventh. The big loser was Louis Meinches who moved down to eighth. Overall Did Godou hold on to fourth? He did hold on to fourth by two minutes and forty seconds. Garant Thomas became even more extremely third. <laughs> the youth classification is the same, the team classification the same. Yeah. In other updates, we've got the uh, Combativity Award, oh, yes. which we were speculating about yesterday and which I was speculating about in an article mere hours before it was announced, which is just masterful timing. Um, just immediately have my article become completely irrelevant when they announce the thing. Uh, so, <laughs> Wout van Aert uh, is the winner of the Super Combativity Award, beating out uh, the likes of Quinn Simmons and... Uh, Simon Geschke and Wright. Fred Wright and all of Tell our other little gotcha. friends. Um, so that that's the Super Combativity Award. And the other thing which I'm actually quite, well, happy, sad about because I, I wanted Reinhard Jans von Rensburg to get his holiday to Zanzibar. Uh, yeah. uh, he did not. Maybe I have to go to Lanzibar instead. Much Maybe cheaper. Lanzibar. But, uh, but Caleb Ewan 
became even more Lantern Rouge today. Um, so, our congratulations to Caleb, I guess, if he wants to be congratulated, which I'm not sure he does. I've been repeatedly chasing the Lotto Sudal press officer for some time trying to figure out if he is going to honour the Lantern Rouge by wearing the pink dossard and going up on stage, or whether he's a little bit upset about Tige being... does not blessed. strike me as a man you mess with. He does not strike me as a man who enjoys uh, my... My stick <laughs> enjoys you. It's fair enough. Brief pause. Brief pause. So, uh, since we're since we're sort of taking the the temperature of the press core at the moment on on what that tour was like, I think that we should. Well, I just I just physically grabbed two of our esteemed colleagues over at Cycling Weekly, Chris Marshall Bell. What do you what, what what's your um what are your thoughts on on this Tour de France? Well, first of all, I think I have to agree with Ian that uh, Tiege uh, <laughs> is not a lover of fun. Um, I don't know if Tiege does listen to, this, to the Cycling Tips podcast. If he doesn't, then uh, he's missing out. Um, but I have been asking Tiege for the last three weeks for photos of birthday cakes. Uh, Philip Gilbert had a birthday. They did not send me a photo of his birthday cake, only a very grainy video. And Philip Gilbert refused all my questions about this said birthday cake. We've had bad luck with, with yeah. Philip Gilbert so far. Maybe he thought I was you and that's why he reposted me so severely. I mean, my blonde is natural, Johnny. It's not it's not dyed blonde. So yeah, I don't spend enough time outdoors. <laughs> it's very true, very true. Um, and the other rider for Lotto, I don't know who, because I haven't really done much of this race, have He also had a birthday and he just, it was a Caleb Ewan, yeah, and he just replied, we didn't have a birthday photo. So no. I think there's a lot going go, going wrong at that team actually it's there's not a lot of fun there yeah maybe it's a, a a subject for us to delve into further after Tour de France wraps <laughs> Ian up can but chase it down yeah <laughs> but it is definitely it's been a it's just not a good vibe when you walk by that bus uh after the race it's it tends to be well we messed that one up again that yeah. sort of thing yeah and you know I'm sure you wanted a bit more of an in-depth Summary of my two different. Yeah, have you enjoyed it? Have you enjoyed it? Like you've done it. You've done quite a few. You've I really been... enjoyed it, Johnny. I've yeah. run most days. I've been climbing. I've played cricket. I played football. <laughs> I swam in the in, in the swimming pool last night. Um, oh, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a great holiday actually, um, <laughs> as I'm sure the esteemed readers of Cycling Weekly would. And, and the race, the race. Did you enjoy that? Or uh, yeah, it's been alright, I guess. It's, um, they've ridden around France. Um, it's been. <laughs> Suspenseful until stage 18 or stage 19. Yeah, um, longer than normal. Longer than normal. N normally it's su suspenseful, suspenseful until stage 10. Um, but no, it's been a good race. It's uh, as I tweeted the other day, as all 600 of my followers will have seen, or maybe at CM Bell 130. No, 310. 310. Sorry, it's, it's not a birthday. It's a Hartlepool United uh, reason, but I won't get into that. Um, this is the biggest time gap between first and third in 21 years. Wow, that's a good start. Yes, which... That's just how third Garrett Thomas yeah. is. <laughs> it is just how third Garrett Thomas is. And I think that actually uh, it shows... Actually, I think you have to credit Garrett for how good his, his performance has been. I don't think mm. we should um, I think it's skew that. Tour. It's a superb tour. An outstanding tour, actually, yeah. yeah. Um, and he, the guy's 36 as well. Um, and he wore his gilet in the time trial. And wore his I mean, this is the thing. So he's 8.13 down from... Vingegaard, I think I read a, a quote that he thinks he lost 18 seconds yeah. in that Jula. He could have been 7.55. He could yeah. have been sub eight minutes. <laughs> sub eight minute gap. I'll take it. Huge. Really was. But uh, but no, just to illuminate that point, I think it shows how big the gap between mm. those two is getting from the rest. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily a good thing for competition, I don't think. But obviously, I think Vingegaard has now joined that, um, has now joined that train as the generational talent. Um, and I was just saying to Adam on the way here, I think next year's tour will be billed as Pogacar's Revenge yeah. rather than Vingegaard's double. 
which probably says more about how much what we think about Pogacar as opposed to Vingegaard. Mm. Yeah. Um, but it does have a bit of a feel like of a Premier League football list. Top four beat the rest, <laughs> make, in this case, top two beat, Definitely. beat the rest. Adam Beckett, your thoughts on, on this Tour de France? I think it's been good. Um, it's difficult to see from the race itself because I've watched so little of it. I, I saw all the time trialists go past, they looked fast. <laughs> um, but beyond that, I, I think Pogaccia needed this. I think he needed to look a little bit human. Um, but beyond that, I don't know. It's, it's, everyone at home has said it's an exciting tour, so therefore I have to say it's an exciting tour. I'm going to stop us all right now because the Garrett Thomas press conference is starting and we all need to get inside. Let's go. <laughs> we will be right back. Apologies for that brief interlude there uh, where we had to chase Garrett Thomas across a parking lot and then into a press conference, which we actually missed the first couple minutes of, unfortunately. Mm. That's okay. We figured it out. Um, our friends from Cycling Weekly are gone. They're gone. Uh, because we are not in the same... We're elsewhere. We're like two hour, an hour and a half away from where we were earlier. We're in yeah. Limoges now. Well, should we reset the scene briefly? Briefly, briefly. Ian? Uh, restaurant outside in a square. Last place that's open in town, I think. It seems a nice place. Um, we've, got, we've got a beer. We're all going the healthy option for dinner. Everyone's got on the salad. Mikey's got a poke bowl. He's got a little mocktail. And everyone's having a nice time. It's... Lovely. And we're at that lovely time of night where we pull out uh, a pile of microphones in the middle of a crowded restaurant and everyone looks like us, like we have seven heads. Before we go anywhere, we have we have quite a few things to talk about from the press conference, actually. They were interesting press conferences. But mm. first, we want to, we wanna, Johnny, you sat down with Pippa again today to kind of get, well, you know, an intelligent person's take on the bike race so far. Yeah, for the final time this tour. Yeah, let's hear from you and Pippa. Right, we are back for the final time this tour uh, with Pippa York. Pippa, we're nearly at the end. The Paris is calling, home is calling. Will you be happy to to be off the race? What are your, what are your feelings as we head towards the end? Oh, it's always difficult. You you come out of the mountains and you think, oh, three days to Paris. And those three days are the world's longest three days. They're like an Irish mile. They always just seem to... These days have 25 hours instead of 24. And what if you're... I guess we can kind of wrap up. The, the time trial is currently ongoing inside. We can't see it, but I, I'm... Are we more confident that we won't get a final day upset than, upset than two years ago? Too, too much time to take over 40 kilometers. No one really wants to call it. That's why everyone's still here. Yeah, we could have just bypassed this day. This, this, this is, this is a, a stage too far. So all, all the GC gaps are all too big to, for anything to happen. You know, even, even if Vinigo fell off and hurt himself, he could probably still get to the finish within three minutes of a gacher. And everybody else is all spaced out. All the GC guys, you know, Geraint Thomas is safe. Big gap to go do in, in Quintana, then Mainchi's well, you know, and all the guys after that. It's just you know everybody's spaced out, and you wonder how they're going to motivate themselves to to forty k, you know, twenty five miles. It's not like a twenty five mile time trial yeah. in the UK. It's up and down. It's roasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's not very many long straights before there's a corner. So yeah. she's just going to seem interminable. 
Supposedly we haven't seen, or so far we haven't seen much of the specialised head sock yet. Due to the heat or due to embarrassment? <laughs> I think imagine both. <laughs> you, you've embarrassed just putting it on and then you wonder why you did. Because I don't know what the thinking is behind it. Is it to, to smooth out airflow over your ear? Yeah. No, so it's... it's with a gap in between, It's airflow over your ear or whatever. I mean, you, you have to wonder whether that aerodynamic gain is worth the... the the heat build-up yeah. you're going to have with that thing on a balaclava on your head inside a helmet. You know, it's like the riot police are wearing them. See, and you look at it and you think, how many people are going to buy that? Mm, well, yeah. not many after the ridiculing that we give it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what are your... I think we can. it's late enough in the day to sort of sum up and get our general feelings from the tour. Have, have you enjoyed it? Have there been any point... Like, what have you enjoyed and not enjoyed about this year's tour? I don't think it's been spectacular mm. in, a, in a kind of... Um, there's been moments, of, you know, of there's, there's probably been two. The only two moments which have been really surprising have been uh, Col de Galibier and mm. then the defiance, uh, the, the kind of um, falling apart of Pogacar yeah. after that, and and that they occurred on the on the one day. Mm. So the the tours come down to that one, you know, that those, that one moment. Yeah, and um, yeah. Other than that, it was all kind of fairly kind of plodding along, waiting for something to happen. Then it did happen. Now it's happened, and we're all going okay. That is all. It's it seems to be over, and it, and it seems to be it seems to be. And I think the lack of sprint opportunities has stopped us seeing that whole set up the way that the big teams like um, Bike Exchange and Quick Step kind of dominate that that day's racing, which is always it seems predictable, but it's it's one of those nice things about the tour that. that it's at such a high level yeah. and they're so well drilled in what they do that it's enjoyable to watch even if you're not a sprinter. And yeah, I mean, the the other thing that seems that we've been talking about in the car and maybe I'll get in trouble putting this up because we're maybe talking about this tomorrow, but it seems there have been a lot lot fewer incidents and maybe fewer characters, you know. We don't have a Mark Cavendish here, we don't have Julian Alaphilippe here, people who are entertainers as well as bike riders. It feel, is that something you think? Or? Yeah, there's, there's, there's been no kind of central story to this. Yeah. So there's been the GC race, and normally you need a couple of other little stories beside it. to yeah. to, to Because the GC race is normally quite boring because it's a, it's a game yeah. of, of waiting and then pouncing. And you need some little stories behind it, you know, some, as the French would say, some little vignettes of, of, of kind of life yeah. outside of what that GC bubble. And there's been none of them because we haven't seen any sprints. The climber's price has come down to, well, Vigigo's taken it by, you know, yeah. just just being present. Made Simon Geshka cry. Yeah. And those, um, so there's been, so you've, we've had a couple of kind of appearances, you know, Fred Wright's kind of come to the front, mm. he's, he's stepped up a level. Everybody's learned how, who he is, uh, you know. But other than that, it's, it's it's like you say, it's it's not been that exciting in, in terms of personalities. Of course, we've had Walt Van Aert doing what Walt Van Aert does. Mm. We've had P- Tom Pidcock appear, you know, uh, a couple of days. You know, Abdoua is really spectacular. Yeah. But we need more of those days for yeah. it to, for it to kind of appeal. So there's there's other stories outside of just Vingigo versus Pogacar. Oh yeah, I mean Fred, Fred Wright's a great story, and I might be biased because I've been speaking to him for two years. He's a Brit. He's sort of my age. That's so kind of the mo- the most relatable I can ever get to a Tour de France rider, which is still. I mean, you you just shuddered there, and it's like, no, that's still far off. But but you know what I mean. He's but, but what does it feel like for him? And he was very emotional yesterday 
when he was asked by the TV, like, you've had an impact this race. And he sort of like, he was like crying a bit. It was, it was, you know, it was the moment of pure emotion this tour. Is that, do you remember that, that moment for you? Or do you know more what it means when that happens? Yeah, you, you realise when, when you come to the tour, the level that it's at and the, mm. and the kind of um, interest there is. And I don't know what Fred did. Did Fred do anything last year? No, or he just he got dragged round. Got dragged round. I mean, he he led. He was leading. He um, sort of was on front of the bunch quite a lot for Bahrain Victorious, but it was his debut tour, and he was more sort of just learning how it works. Yeah. So so now he's realised. You know, he stepped up a level, and quite often, you know, you go to the tour, and it either it either buries you or it kind of brings up what's what's mm. still to come, and that's a, that appears to be what's happened to him. So he's emerged as one of those riders who normally would be on DSM. Yeah. You know. Those kind of guys that get a bit of freedom and they can go on the breaks and and you know and they're really strong and they can win stages and he's he stepped up to that level, um, and that when you realise that you can be competitive at the Tour de France on certain days, they, yeah they are. Then it has an emotional impact on you, and he'll probably go away from this race, and and think you know right, what can I improve on what I'm doing already? Mm. And then there'll be the little percentages or the marginal gains as we like mm. we have to say. Um, and he'll look at all those little things, and he'll improve them slightly, and he'll come back again next year, and he'll be slightly better. And you, you know, and he, he can realistically win stages. Speaking of marginal gains, and uh, something maybe we should have touched on the last time we spoke to you, but Chris Froome, shame, unfortunately, had to go, had to leave because of COVID. But him getting to Paris would have probably been quite a, a nice moment for him. He, he looked the best he's ever had since the crash. He was third on Alpe d'Huez. I mean. I mean, what's your, what's your view on that? Obviously, maybe, like I think that him winning a tour or winning a stage maybe passed him, but it was still, it was still a moment of this it's, race it's, to see yeah, him come it, back. It's, it was probably important for him, and I, if if he hadn't been a kind of experienced pro, yeah, he would have probably been quite emotional about that. Yeah, um, because, you know, from where he's come from with the crashes and the setbacks and all the rest of it, to actually be in the front of the race and um, and be part of it, mm. you know, instead of being. You, Ten minutes back, and people shout, "No, oh, you, you know, mm. you should stop," and all the rest of it. So, I think for him, he, as he as he talked about before he came, he was always talking about the progress that he had. You know, yeah. you could see the numbers, and he was getting better. And it, and I think that show you once the the race kind of settled down into a pattern of those breaks being allowed to take three, four, five minutes. He was trying to get in them. Yeah. So he obviously knew that he he could be part of that move. Mm. And he could ride to the finish with looks. Maybe he's not going to win. However, just to get in the move is already a decent level, yeah. and then to stay in it up until the end and and see how with the how the the victory is going to be um, taking care of that day is, is it has been a big step for him. And speaking of Jumbo Visma, I mean, it feels that in 2020 and 2021 they arrived at the race as a sort of team to be feared, the strong team. The t- team that was expected to dominate, but then Tadej Pogacar showed up and sort of derailed all that. But then this year, there was maybe less build-up and more focus on Pogacar. But it's gone the other way, and finally everything sort of has come together. I mean, it didn't look like it in the cobbled stage in when it was mayhem oh, yeah. and chaos. But since that point, they, they've everything seems to have finally clicked. Yeah, and de- definitely back on the cobbled stage, everybody thought they were going to really control that and blow the race apart. And they were the ones on the back foot the whole day, for whatever reason, the equipment or just and lucky with crashes and punctures and then the days where we expected them to be slightly defensive they've been offensive um, and I think that's to do with they've looked at this as a long term project 
So the riders they're developing that have appeared this year, like Laporte, who's been who's been a really high level uh, since Paris Nice. You know, they, they've looked at those riders and and done what Sky did before. You know, developed those riders to a better level, uh, and that's what's happened. And even the young riders they're bringing in, they're they're all on the same way. They're all on the way up. Um, so they've they've obviously been very careful in recruitment and in the development of those riders, and and that comes down to you know the the whole kind of team management thing, and and how they look at each race as a as a kind of um, not a training kind of training block, but um. You know, as a, as an exposure to a higher level of racing. Pippa's just very masterfully continued making her point while people were trying to sit on the other lunch tables there. So right. just given the uh, just given the context here, a marvelous performance from you, Pippa, at the last. Um, yeah, when, um, more on Jumbo Visma. I mean, Wout Van Aert. I mean, we've kind of struggled to talk or write about him because where do you start and where do you end? You don't because we were saying so. You you know you look at the you look at the riders, you know, a team of eight riders, and then you have Van Aert who's worth four. Mm. So 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 Ineos with eight plays plays Jumbo with it with twelve, because Van Aert can do all those roles, and he's actually doing them to a higher level than the support riders in other teams. Mm. You know, so, so you look at something you know where he finished third on um, Hold Cam. He's on the front. Normally, that would have been, you know, if it had been UAE, it'd have been George Bennett and Micah. Mm. And there's Van Aert setting the tempo. Okay, he's been in the break and he's had a slightly easier ride, but he's been riding on the front in the break. Yeah, he's not been sitting on. He's been pulling it along, and then he, you know, and then he makes an acceleration, and Fogadja gets blown out. And you just think, you know, he's he's worth two climbers. Yeah. <laughs> he he sprints. He's probably going to win today's time trial. Yeah. And then he could he could win tomorrow on the Champs yeah, Elysees like again, like he did last year. Like last year. <laughs> so then you've got you know, yeah. you'll have had, you know, um, Jumbo won seven stages. Yeah. A third of the race. Yeah, and and three of the jerseys. And three of the yeah, <laughs> which is just crazy. It's crazy. And the, and you, and there's not the same kind of. It hasn't looked as controlling and as dominant as you know as normally. Like when when this guy is, yeah. it's, it's not necessarily boring. Do you think? Yeah, do you think that's just because they've? It's the what we've been talking about. Like, of course, on Tet, it's been the, uh, like they've been dominated by attacking rather than strangling. You know. Yeah. So they go on the breaks. Yeah. And then they win. For, they can win from the break. They can win if the break comes back. Yeah. <laughs> do um do Jumbo Visma and Jonas Vingal win the tour without Wout Van Aert in in that squad? No, 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 they don't. Absolutely not, because he's worth three or three or four yeah. other riders. Maybe a more difficult question: that can Wout Van Aert? I mean, this is the keep running a story about this the other day. I, I know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's yeah. I mean, I I have no insight, so I'm interested to hear. So, so the the problem with that is, is you take that rider who's naturally talented at all those all those disciplines, and you remove. I don't know how how much Van Aert weighs. Say he he weighs you know seventy four kilos to turn mm. him into a, a better climber. You're going to have to remove say six to eight kilos. Mm. Well, he's probably not that fat. To you know, he's a, not. No, he's he's big, but he's lean. He's big, but he's lean. So then you're talking about losing muscle. Mm. You know, just to reach the weight. So then you remove a bit of power, and you also remove the recovery from that because you're you're. 
your body goes into that catatonic state where it starts to eat itself mm. just, to, just to lose weight. And then his recovery is not the same. Yeah. So a big ban art day, the next day he falls apart because he's not recovered. Mm. So, so I don't see it. And there'll always be, when it comes to the mountain stages, there'll always be climbers appear who rip the legs off of everybody. Yeah. It hasn't happened here, but you know, so, so between Pogacar and Vingigo, they're roughly the same level. Mm. But because Pogacar's had to um, attack, it's cost him more. It always costs more to do that than it does to defend. If if Van Aert started following those attacks or even making them, you know, yeah. it, it costs them more than that steady state of riding okay. that he just burns everybody out with. So, so, so I don't see, and I don't see Van Aert putting up with the, the requirements. Yeah. So if you think back to um, what what. Oleg Tinkov said about Contador, mm. saying he was a really boring person because he, <laughs> you know, because it's you know it's gone to bed at ten o'clock every yeah. night. It's not messing about in the winter. It's it's been a boring person just to be a bike rider. Yeah, uh, is Van Aert okay with that? And not that he's a, he's a party kid or anything. No. but you know, there's a, there's it's a, a different level to it. There's yeah. a certain certain amount of restrictions that you have to sign up to, and you have to be okay with to 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 cope with mentally. So then he's going to lose doing cyclocross yeah um, is he willing to do that I don't think so because mm. part of being you know who you are so if Van Aert does the cyclocross in the winter same as Pitcock you know mm. I, I can see it being easier for Pitcock to, to, to become a GC rider than Van Aert yeah because of his size and Be- because of the size because of the ex- you know the, the expectations of him are different to the the Expectations that the Belgians and the Dutch have of Van Aert—they mm. expect to see him, you know, doing cyclocrosses, winning bunch sprints. He yeah. won't be winning bunch sprints when he's a GC no. rider because <laughs> he won't be doing sprints because he'd be staying out of the way. Yeah, because he, he won't have that top end. You'll have a, still have top end power, but he won't have the same amount no. because he'll be sl- he'll be lighter. So he might have the same cruising kind of speed, you know, or FTP or flight, but he won't have those bursts of. Van Artness that we see. Mm. That's the best insight I've heard so far, to, or the best explanation of why why he won't. A um, couple, couple of easier ones or more general ones. Just your favourite and least favourite moment of this tour, if they can, if that comes to mind. Oh, the favourite part would be the attacks on the Galibier, where they, you know, you had um, yeah. Rochlik and Vandigo attacking Pogacar, and then the reaction of Pogacar to, to you know to put one on them as well and just show like okay well I can do this as well and I'll blow you both out. Mm. Um, yeah, that was going back to junior racing. Probably the worst part. Oh, you know, seeing people get hurt. You know, the, yeah. um, the kind of pain on Rochlik's face when he knew, when he when he hit the ground in, on the cobbled stage and yeah just that random piece of bad luck that he always seems to have mm. and you just knew that he as soon as he got up he was broken mm. um, uh, and you and now I look at that and you think you know he's spent probably three four years trying to win the Tour de France yeah. and now the the deputy on his team yeah, has is risen. now the winner so he's going to wear number one next year so yeah. even if Frosty comes back he's not going to be wearing number one no. and that will change the whole mentality of how how does he develop? Where does he go from here? Just winning Giro's and and, and Welters? Yeah. yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's it's it's, it's not a. Um, 
you know, it's hard being a professional athlete yeah. on, the, on that kind of mental scale. Yeah. That you, you have these ambitions and when you can't meet them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, then it becomes hard, you know, mm. and people remind you all the time. <laughs> so if he listens to this, you'll be reminded. Yeah. Um, so let's luckily, you probably won't. Let's, let's hope he doesn't. Um, yeah. Fi- final thing. I mean, it's t- it's twelve months away or eleven months away, eleven months and a week away. The twenty twenty three tour. I mean, Kaylee's already been excited for a week about it. But I mean, it is. If, who knows what will happen in between? And it's impossible to. But it feels like we have a a rivalry befitting the race, and that if we add in all those characters that maybe weren't here these the sorts of things that make the tour the tour the Vingegaard Pog rivalry is one that we can even get excited now you know Pog the revenge tour next year yeah I think you know for like you say the next 12 months will be a, a case of how does Pogaccia recover from mm. the defeat for Vingegaard and he can he can identify the parts where he you know he messed up yeah so then he goes away and he looks at where Vingigo are and they'll have all the, you know, they'll study the data of the other riders and, and they'll, they'll work on that. But then as, as Pogaccio gets another year older, he'll get slightly stronger. Mm. But you can't, you can't say that Vingigo's in any way on the downhill. Yeah. Because he, move, he moves into the period where he gets really strong. Mm. Um, so it's really interesting. And it will develop into a whole rivalry. Um, and we'll have to watch... And see if they avoid each other in certain races. Yeah. So are they, you know, is Pogacar always going to go to Tirreno? Will Vingegaard yeah. then go to Paris Nice to to avoid each other? And then all those other races, will will they come to the the Ardennes Classics? Yeah. You know, and you get into the period of Dauphiné and Romandie and those races. You know, will Pogacar change? You know, from Slovenia to Dauphiné, mm. but but not if Vingegaard goes there. So there's that whole rivalry develops, which cycling needs because it's yeah. always a case of rivalries. And next year, I imagine, um, wherever Mark Cavendish ends up, he'll come to Tour de France mm. because it's a story in itself. Yeah. And then there'll be the interest in that because he's only going to come with as a sprint train for him. Yeah. He's not going to come with half a GC team. No. So so if he comes with he when he comes with the with the sprint train, then we're watching that develop. Is he is he going to win? The 35th stage and be the, the you know the most is winning. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and there'll be you know if Pidcock decide if they come with if Ineos come with Pidcock. Yeah. Then that's it. Where does Pidcock fit into this? Is yeah. he going to be the next podium? You know, is he is he worthy, capable of being the podium, or is it going to be a first six, a first ten? Mm. So 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 it becomes really interesting that you have that kind of emergence of young riders alongside the will will Mark Cavendish take the record of stage wins and the Vingigo yeah. Pogacar rivalry. Well, and Alaphilippe back at the race. Mathieu van der Poel, if he arrived fit. I mean, then you'd have almost too much. I can, you can never have too much entertainment. <laughs> but it's interesting you bring up van der Poel because you, we've seen his limit now. He can't, mm. do two, he can't do two tours. No. Not the way he rides them. No. <laughs> um, and it'd be pretty hard to force him not to ride. And, and you can't, again, you can't ask him to, to ride... Defensively, yeah, it's not in his nature. Uh, yeah. So, we, I imagine his his team are going to insist that he just does Tour de France because yeah. his um, non-appearance here um, has just been kind of really sad. Yeah, that would probably always be my saddest thing about the race is that he he hasn't been at the level that mm. he needs to be that we expect him to be. Yeah. Um, 
and to see him leave and you know, and not have any impact at all has been quite sad. But yeah, the next 12 months should be really interesting in how the whole dynamic plays out between UAE having to strengthen a team and Jumbo, you know, happy with where they are, but you know, having to manage Rogelik, mm. the fallout from that. All that's left for me to say, Pippa, is it has been an immense privilege to have you on this podcast for the past three weeks. I mean, uh, since my first tour, I've, you've been on the race, and we always sit down for lunch with Peter Cousins and sort of get insight and you tell stories that and probably can't put, and put on. put crap on people and, yeah. and take the mickey out of ourselves. But it was, yeah, it was, yeah, that was great fun, and it's great that we can... We can share that with the sort of listeners, listeners wherever they are, and the response has been phenomenal. And everyone's sort of said, "Oh, you know, when's Pippa back on?" So it's been it's been great having you on. Hopefully, we'll have you on again next year or before that. But yeah, thank you very much from me and the and the listeners. Thank you. I've enjoyed myself. Hopefully, <laughs> that's good. Right. I want to return to. The site of the press conferences this afternoon, we are now, like I said, we're, we're a couple hours after that, the very warm gymnasium that they pulled the riders into. Now, for those who have not listened to podcasts previously or maybe don't know how this works, the, the sort of the winner's press conference actually happens the night before the race ends. This, this is, this is the, the extent to which it is assured yeah. that Jonas Vigigo will win the bike race tomorrow. I mean... It has never actually happened. I suppose, in theory, he could have a weird tumble tomorrow and and break something and not actually be able to finish. But I actually, I truly wonder whether they would just give it to him anyway at that point. Regardless, they do the press conferences uh, the Saturday night uh, of of the penultimate stage. Of oh, uh, during the pivot segment, actually, I should fess up. I think I said the tour is the tour. So oh that's no. my first Euro of the of the I race. I think we're up to only about... I was expecting more from us. I was expecting like 13, 14... I think we're only at 13, 14 Euros at this point. Yeah, which is sort of not enough to donate to charity. I mean, we, obviously, we, can, we can still do that, but it's Why just like just you present them with a giant check with 13 Euros on it. It doesn't really do the same thing, does it? <laughs> Maybe we'll just continue to add them up as we do weekly podcasts yeah. until we get to a number that, that actually makes sense. Anyway... Press conference has happened. Uh, we're, in, we're in the very hot gymnasium. They pull all the riders in. Uh, the first to come in was Tadej Pogacar, uh, right? Geraint. Ger sorry. Geraint. <laughs> That's where we were We chasing. missed the start. That's the why we The first to come in was Geraint Thomas, who was third place. Then we had Tadej Pogacar, and then we had Jonas Vingigo, and then we had Wout van Aert. Yeah, which I wasn't expecting, or which anyone. We weren't, well, I mean, he was a stage winner, so I guess yeah, that makes, makes sense. sense. <laughs> and a green jersey, and his team won a third of the stages of the entire bike race. So, She's not too surprising we saw him. Um, but they were interesting press cons. So... Garen Thomas was funny, amicable, he, he, like super relaxed. I, yeah. I enjoyed his press conference sort of the most of, of all of mm. them because he was just, he's so good at them now he's and the, he has no pressure. He's the master of saying the things he wants to say without actually having to say them. Because you you can't, you can't really, you can't be a bike rider in a top level team and come third into the front and say what you want to say is how these things work. But yeah. The long, the long story short is, the team didn't. When he was up for contract renewal last year, it didn't seem that the team were backing him in the same way. The contract he was offered was not the same as the one after he won the Tour de France, which makes sense. He wasn't really in the the team's mind for their who would be their top finisher at the Tour on the podium. 
in the summer. He he believed, well, he says he kind of believed it, his wife believed, and how it was actually pushing him and was yeah. sort of backing him up. He worked as he do, did as towards the other tours, one Swiss, one Swiss? Yeah. One Swiss. That sort of gave him a bit more belief, made the tour team, wasn't even necessarily a shoe in for the tour team before that Swiss victory. Proved to be the strongest by far of the Ineos Grenadiers and has ended up with a podium that he will be chuffed at and seems chuffed at and partly because he was saying he doesn't know how many more tours he's got left and partly as a a bit of a told you so to the yeah. to the team higher ups basically like you doubted me he made a lot of things like a lot has been made about his age I imagine in the media and in those contract negotiations and he's he, proven them wrong he I, mentioned in the contract negotiations that uh, the Ineos management had envisaged him for this tour as a kind of Sepp Kuss yeah. role. Somebody that could do a big stint on the front, but uh, probably wasn't able to back it up consistently. That's not to uh, say anything uh, bad about Sepp Kuss, a phenomenal bike rider, but when you've won the tour, yeah. and you still have that belief, because you have to if you're going to compete at this level, I, I to would be told that you're going to be a domestic level when you still believe it, it must be that gives you an extra point to prove. Yeah, and I, I wonder, I would guess, and I wonder... Is he making less money than Danny Martinez and, and Yates these days? Well, certainly because Danny Martinez does all the busking on the side. <laughs> but yeah, probably. Probably that's probably what the sticking point was. And it was no interesting. No one's going to understand that joke. <laughs> he stayed at the. T sorry, I'm just for the first time this time I'm actually trying to. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> talk about the bike race. No, no, we can. But he. He had offers from other teams, I'm sure. But he stayed because, you know, he's been there so long. He's. Friends in the team, riders and staff, you know, big British contingent, yep. comfortable. At this, at this stage in your career, do you really want to move and start everything over new? So, I mean, of all the, apart from the people who've actually won jerseys and stages, he's got to be, yeah. he's got to be more happy than Tadej Pogacar. Interesting question to him as well, uh, which he didn't really have an answer for, but, but it was still an interesting question, was sort of what does Ineos do from here? Which I feel <laughs> like could be an entire podcast, could be an entire, yeah. in fact, it's a story that we very much plan on writing. You know, you... <laughs> he he said, and I'm yeah. going to paraphrase here because, you know, not exact. But he basically said, "Well, like the two top guys, the two top guys. Like if you can't buy them, who do you buy? Like you you can't buy somebody to to beat them at this well, point." Well, he also said, uh, "Next year's probably going to be in my last tour, so it's not my problem." <laughs> he also said, which that. was revealing as well. He's like, you know what? Yeah, I've given it a go. I've won it for you. Yeah, yeah. Your problem now. Yeah, yeah. He was great. Uh, anyway, I I I I enjoyed. His press conference. He was quite, quite emotional as well. Yeah. Tearing up a lot, which you don't necessarily see from him. He's always quite honest, I feel, when he talks to the media, like says things how he is, how he's feeling. But when you finally get him in a room, because we never really get them in a room or like your interaction with the top, top guys as yeah. wrist and press is so short and managed. If I had to give an award, and sometimes the press does this, if I had to give an award to a rider for being available, being mm. good, being interesting, being honest, just just being a, a, a good athlete to interact with yeah. in our role, it would go to Garen Thomas this this tour. A yeah. And you know, you certainly wouldn't have said that about anybody on Sky five years ago. <laughs> well, <and laughs> number absolutely two, no way. Number two, Thomas Pidcock as well. Like yeah. the top two most quotable people. Yeah, he's been good. He's to been steal, good as well. to steal an award uh, used by. Uh, to, to steal an award used by NFL Beats uh, on elsewhere, the Good Guy Award. Uh, I like 
Yeah, like he was, he's a good he was guy. The, he was the good guy, I think, in this in this story. Not not just in sort of the way that he rode and the way that he well the result that he got, but in the way that he interacted with fans, interacted with us. He's just it's a, it's a it. I don't think it's a different Garen Thomas. I think it's who he's been the whole time. Uh, I should say that the Good Guy Award is awarded by the writers who cover each team uh, to one guy on that team. So, you know, the, 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 the people that are dealing with these athletes day in and day out, which is what we've been doing for the I last month. I mean, I cover any else all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, uh, Sick of I, the I was saying that, like, the... This wasn't this wasn't a new Garrett Thomas or or he's changed. It was the fact that like, you know, in 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 the sky dominance era, everything was very well controlled and there was a lot more pressure and stress in that mm. team. And he, he was still always good for a quote, but he was a lot less sort of open. Whereas now, there's like no pressure and no stress on that team, particularly for Garrett Thomas. And so he was just phenomenal. I'm sure, there's still pressure and stress. Um, Talking to Pippo, we we went round again on the fact that if they hadn't won Paru Bay, the season looks a lot different for that team. Again, with the budget they've got and the the money they've spent on. I'm not riders. sure Garen Thomas cares though. No, of course he doesn't. Why? Sh- but why should he? If he's like if he's been paid less money and he's produced third place at the Tour de France, one Tour de Suisse, you wouldn't. Let's we'll move on from, from G. Uh, there were some other interesting things that happened in this press conference. Uh, Ian, you wrote a story about sad Poggy. He was sad. Uh, we've seen him. We've seen him in press conferences all tour, and he's always sort of had this. There's a bit of a happy edge to him as he sort of. I don't know. Maybe he still always thought he could still win this thing, even if we didn't. And today he was sad. Yeah, he he kind of walked into the the press conference. I I got the sense that there was a a little bit of an emotional remove in Tadej Pogacar today sat down at the table, waited for everybody to sort of get their shit together and sit in the right spots and all that kind of stuff. And he was just looking around everywhere else in the room, never making eye contact with people, just kind of looking at the, the walls and the ceiling. And uh, and then the, the questions start. And we, in the last year or so, probably not so much bef- before that, but he's recently gotten a bit of a reputation as somebody that's a bit of a... like a, a fun guy. He... You know, shit posts on Twitter. He's he's kind of like a little bit cheeky, bit of a cheeky chap, and you can see that in the way that he interacts with people after stages. He's pouring water on people and whatnot. But that was not there today. He was he was pretty straight down the line, pretty downcast and circumspect. Talked a lot about mistakes. Talked a lot about mistakes. Yeah, he well he was he was being asked instead of what did you do well, he was being asked what mistakes did you make, where did you go wrong and what will you do differently next time which is not a normal spot for Tadej Pogacar to be in I think he really just doesn't enjoy the sort of dusty old written media press conference sort of like tete-a-tete of like question answer question answer like it's not really his vibe and he unfortunately can't transcend that through being an amazing bike racer and trying to have fun because the press room is not necessarily that fun a place and there's a lot of it's quite traditional in a sense. But I, I think today, for the first time, in the days before this, you kind of got the sense that there was this glimmer of hope that maybe he could turn it around and mm. maybe it hadn't quite sunk in that he hadn't won the Tour de France. But today, there was this little scene which I wrote about in this story that I've just published where he was walking out after 
finishing his his post Tour de France press conference. He's been to three of them. The first two, he'd just won the Tour de France. For the first time, he's walking out not as a Tour de France yeah. winner in his entire life. Yeah. And uh, as he's going out, uh, Jonas Vingegaard is coming in. They're both sort of surrounded by their minders. They uh, they do like a really quick sort of fist bump mm. as they're, they're passing. And then Tadej Pogacar is out the door and his kind of... Not, not yesterday's news because he'll be back and he'll probably win the Tour de France again but in that moment it's, it's kind of like okay this is this is something that is changing our perception of Tadej Pogacar as a cyclist yeah. and uh, for him it's probably uncomfortable to, to confront the fact that he made mistakes and his team was weakened by COVID and all this kind of stuff but it's, it's a change When we asked him about it it was um, you know he he was speaking a lot and he, he seems pleased to have a rival who can challenge him and sort of push him further because until Jonas Vingegaard turned up, music's just they been just turned up very loud. They just turned the music up. They must be trying to get us to stop podcasting. I hope, I hope we can still be heard. Um, Dance time? But he seems, he seems pleased that there's someone to, that he's got to push his level against, like someone who's beaten him that he can now try and beat. And the question is also posed, like, do you think this will help you with being more liked, being more popular? Because it's not just... a uh, who's got the most watts you've got like to navigate the sport and to be successful and be a champion you, it's also about how you present yourself to the fans to the media it's the whole package and he did admit that like maybe that's one of the only good things about losing yeah. is that it will, it, people will be if he wins next year people will be more glad than if he'd won this year I think that that was kind of an intellectual response from him though like I, I don't think he's like Oh yes, I will. I will trade this loss in a bike race for uh, the opportunity to oh, yeah. be more popular with my fans. Like I, I think that it obviously didn't turn out how he would have wanted rather, it to turn out. He definitely rather crush them all to a, yeah, yeah, a fine yeah. pace. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a, a foie gras of rivals. Yeah, I've just never seen him sad before. Yeah, I've covered all of his tours uh, as of you, Johnny. And yeah. I've never seen him sad. He was more introspective for sure. Yeah, I, um, I have never, I've, I've never even seen him like even he'll he'll lose on a given stage. He'll lose time. Like well, actually, he never really loses time. But he'll, you know, I have a bad day or whatever. It's great. It's great. And he's still, he's still always a bit cheeky. And he was just, he was just, he was bummed. Yeah. It's great though because it, it, you see another side. You see another side. Of him. If he just won this tour, it, like we've probably been sitting here, maybe like borderline slagging him off. Because it, it's not what it's all about. Like you yeah. don't come here to see someone just dominate. It's all it's just it's the narrative. That's what the tour is. It's about the narrative, and this is perfect narrative fodder. There was an interesting question that was posed. Like uh, for someone like Tadej Pogacar, who has won three stages in this Tour de France, yeah. finished second, finished third in a time trial today. For that to be seen as a a, a loss, yeah. which it is. I mean, he's had an incredible Tour de France, but uh, sports such is relative the, though. Yeah, I mean, but that's that's the kind of level that we expect yeah. from him. If I went and won the Tour de France next tomorrow, that'd be more exceptional than Tadej Pogacar winning the Tour de France tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. the way sport works. But I think <laughs> it, it's also, uh, I think it's also a demonstration of the importance of team strength because there was there was one point when he was talking about how Jumbo Visma rode an almost perfect race. They always seemed to be there, he said, and then he he kind of like with a, a wry smile on his face is like maybe that's because there are only four of us like I, yeah. I think that the loss of teammates had an impact yeah whether a big enough impact for him to not have when Pippa lost. said earlier which you guys haven't heard that 
Jonas Vingegaard, she reckons, wouldn't have won the tour without Wout van Aert because he is, counts for four teammates. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, which I think is a fair yeah. point, and I probably agree. I think they're, I think I think Vingegaard and Pogacar are exceptionally evenly matched, and barring today's TT, where Pogacar just seemed to be, I mean, frankly, if you if you if you don't think you can win it, you're probably not. Your heart's not in it, right? I think you know. If there was another tour starting tomorrow, mm. I think I'd still put money on Tadej Pogacar. Yeah, that's a really good point. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, he just has it. He has it, and he's willing to. Well, and that, that's the, the the point that he finished. I think you mentioned earlier how he lost the three minutes because he went out all, all guns blazing, no guts, no glory. But he also said, uh, like, he he admitted that that was quote a small mistake. <laughs> um, but then when he was asked whether anything would change, whether he would change his racing yeah. style, no. No, nah. nah, nah, why would you? Yeah. He's just well, we would have been sad it. if he said yes. Anyway, we should move on from Tade because there's, yeah, there's quite it, a bit more to talk about. it just shows how in, like, interesting that whole thing is playing out now. It's yeah. been a very yeah. interesting evening, hasn't it? Well, so, so I mean, t- press <laughs> conferences are almost universally terrible. Like, they are generally useless and terrible, and you just get the same canned answers, and it's it's awful. The exception is the press conferences at the end of the Tour de France, which yeah. are almost always good. I mean, I was saying to you, Ian, that you know this one got a bit spicy, which we're going to talk about in a minute, but it was still like lower 50th percentile of the spicy press conferences I've been in it's since It's the best 2011. one I've been in. Yeah, it's the best one Johnny's been in, but that's because the last couple have been pretty tame. Yeah. Like I was, I was there through the Wiggins and Froome years when the French reporters were essentially just screaming doping every single question, <laughs> right? Like it, it was, and, and Wiggins literally called us all wankers in the middle of a uh, oh, of a, of a press conference. So good. It was fantastic. That is so, good. so we're just sort of back to normal a little bit uh, this year, and and let's move on to the Jonas Vingegaard press yeah. conference. We'll just sort of go in order here. Uh, winners press con. Jonas is quite. Sort of muted, quiet guy. He's guarded. Um, he's a he's guarded very guy. guarded. Guarded is a, actually a great word for it. He speaks fantastic English, and so that's not really the issue. Uh, but he's just he's just quiet. He's guarded. Like a perfect example is when uh, we're going to talk about two questions here from our, our colleague Kate Wagner. Yeah. Kate asked one that was basically trying to open him up. That was like, "What do you like? Yeah. <laughs> what music do you listen to? Like, yeah. what do you do?" And he was like, "I'm a family man," and that was. And that's his whole thing. That's his whole thing that he's been, the story he's been putting out there. Yeah, it's very interesting, I thought, that even in that moment where he could have revealed a little bit more of himself, he chose to not. Maybe that is all that he is, but I I like to believe that Jonas Vingegaard has more complexity than just being a family man. Um, Yeah, I I think the thing is, like, we forget that these GC riders are not normal human beings, and the actual (laughs) things that they can do and can be into is very limited. But also... Well, except that's why Pogacar is so interesting, is he feels like a normal human being to me. Yeah. Feels like he's playing like video games and yeah, and he's like shoot and he's like shooting rap videos with like Bastiatma and his guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I I did think it was interesting that uh, Vingegaard didn't elaborate more on himself and uh, reveal too much. Yeah. Like he, the the fact that he is a family man is kind of a known quality. Of when, and it's uh, typical of like the region of Denmark he's from, where they are all kind of like that, and it's all quite. Josh is laughing. They love a good fish market. And are you loving at the, that comment? Or? I don't know anything about, about Denmark. I love that you're an expert on that region of Denmark. 
Yeah, but I can't remember exactly where, but I did a, an hour-long interview with a Danish journalist at the start of the tour who explained the in intricacies of each of them. So for oh, so once, I actually have. Uh, I actually did some reporting. Yeah. Oh, it it comes from a place of total admiration. Okay. You've been a good boy, Johnny. I, if only I knew the place that he was from. It's not. Is it, it's not the jet. Oh, thankfully our salads have. We saved are, our salads me. are here. We're gonna. Cru uh, we're yeah. just gonna cruise through this though. This is a. That's yeah. earth. I've got that's earth. earth. I, yeah, I certainly have Earth. Earth. Um, see. Boy, oh boy, haven't we got some salads, boys? Look at salads. that, salad boys. Oh, um, yeah. All right, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep podcasting because frankly, salads can't get cold. That's what I thought. For once, we're not gonna have our dinner get cold in front of us. Um, yeah, uh, I think I, I just think that like maybe he we'd prefer if he shared things about him and told us that he listened to. Kaiser Lady Gaga or Kaiser Chiefs <laughs> or Block Party, but if he doesn't want to and he's, then that, I guess that's his right. You don't like like him for it, but he clearly didn't want to. And I'm like, you know what? Fair enough. For once, I'm I'm going on that side of things. I don't know I, why. I have to I have to say I have to, I like. He could share one Yona, band. Jonas Vingo seems like a perfectly nice man, like a yeah. lovely human being. If I had to choose a dominant GC rider for the next five years, I would vastly. Vastly prefer Tadej Pogacar. I still find Jonas Vingegaard a bit interesting. Like he had his whole backstory of like him working in the fish packing factory, which yeah, the junior riders do. Yeah, tell once. Yeah, well, I'm going to try and tell it again tomorrow for a different public, new, my new publication. But uh, no, I re I reckon he's into some weird shit. I reckon he's into like <laughs> some sort of Danish prog or something. Like his. Well, but if we can if we can peel back the onion and he's interesting, great. But if it, if this is all we get, then that's oh, it's going to be a whoa. I don't don't like that at all. No, but Ted Pikachu was boring as. Yeah, like, when he first, first was on the scene, it. yeah. His uh, and he'll he'll learn to like open himself up, and like that's kind of what races like the Tour de France expect of their champions. In a couple they... of years, we're going to have Ted Pikachu. Uh, sorry, Jonas Vingegaard with a TikTok account. <laughs> <laughs> Doing sponsored content for God knows what. We are going to move on. That's Sweden. We're gonna so, move on. Uh, Moving to on. the final, to the final press conference. So oh, no, the next question. No, we still have, we have another we have another Kate Wagner question. Kudos to Kate. Yeah. Um, the only one wearing wearing their brave pants in the whole room. Yep. Of a lot of journalists. Until who you are wore much your brave pants later. Experienced. Yeah. And she was the only one this tour who was asking this question. Yes. So she pointed out accurately that last year when Pogacar won, there was a fair number of doping questions throughout the entire race. Uh, as has been the case at every single Tour de France I've ever covered. And this year, quite, uh, well, obviously, there were basically none, despite the fact that we watched a team do something that no team has done in the Tour de France perhaps ever. Uh, they could potentially win literally one-third of the stages as of tomorrow. And three out of four of the... Three out of the four jerseys. A bunch of stage and wins. If, if and the overall, was a, year, a year younger, he would have won the white jersey. Yeah, as it's well. it's it's frankly like if if this was any other team in any other era of cycling, mm. we would all be going. Well, that's not possible. Yeah. And so this this question is valid, and Kate's question was essentially, you know, why should we trust you? And this is a question that has been asked of top riders for a very long time. So it was asked. Yeah. And Jonas Vingo had a, had a good answer. Uh, I mean, he basically just listed off the reasons why his team is good at things, which is like they do, uh, he said, like better altitude training. I'm not really sure what that means. You know, really, really close 
inspection of equipment and and paying very close attention to the, to the details. It's essentially the marginal gains argument. It's the same thing that Sky was saying for years, but it is in sort of the modern cycling era, it's sort of the closest thing we have to an explanation of why a particular team can be dominant in a particular time. The the key thing that he said is, whereas previously, I think Tadej Pogacar said this, last year. I'm not sure if he ever said anything different, but he said, I've never tested positive, which is the classic one. Not to accuse Tadej Pogacar or anything, there's absolutely no no evidence or anything to, to doubt the validity of his results or performances or anything like that. But there is a there is a difference in the way that Jonas Vingegaard answered the question, and he said, we are totally clean, which is not a phrase or word that historically people yeah. have used. And that is, and to say that is, it, it, it's different in terms of how you phrase it, right? By saying that, you and are saying that you, you're saying you're clean. And to be clear, he speaks English well enough to probably know the difference. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Because he didn't say nobody tests positive. He didn't say we get tested all the time, which is. We'll get to this in a second, but it's what Wout said later. Uh, he said we're totally clean, and that—that is—that's a, a more forceful statement than we generally get. Yeah, in these and, and at the time you're like, you know what? That is like I, I sat up and I was like, great. <laughs> we have got so much meat delivered to our table. It's bizarre. <laughs> um, but yeah, really kudos to Jens Vingard. He was also that was the most expressive um, question, like answer that he gave. He, his hands were going everywhere. He was like turning around, looking at people. I think uh, I think when that question was asked. He, he was generally pretty, yeah, facially facially inexpressive. But then for that question, eyebrows went up. Yeah. Eyes widened. And well, I, it's a pressure moment, isn't it? Well, how you answer it. But I think it's also like, I mean, if, if everybody, if somebody read one of your articles and was like, Johnny, did you just plagiarize that? <laughs> then I think you'd probably be like, oh, bloody hell. I've never tested positive for plagiarizing. <laughs> It was it was an interesting press conference, but not as interesting as the next one. As the next one, which was, we got like halfway through Watt Van Aert's uh, section, and Johnny, you put your hand up. I I saw Kate Kate open the barriers, and then that's when I was like, right, I'm gonna have to get my big boy pants on now and uh, <laughs> actually ask a real question. Um, so we asked him the same question. We're like, look, you know, you've been you've been. We didn't actually, I didn't phrase it towards him being dominant, which he has been. Yeah. The team being dominant, dominant. Jonas said, you're totally clean. What would, like, how would, how would you like to answer that question? Yeah. I think is what I said. I can't remember now. It all got a bit, <laughs> my heart was going. I was getting a bit nervous. <laughs> I was going to pop a question. Sorry? Did you like that? I do because it, it you know, I, I don't, I like to try and like make myself feel a bit alive. And no, no, no. Did he like that? Oh, did he like it? Uh, he, no. as much as I liked it, he didn't like it. Um, he's not liked a question before that I asked at. Uh, yeah, you're a bad, bad boy. At Parry, Parry Bay, was it? Yes, I think it was. I asked mm. him if he was sick of like coming second and like, or if he got bored. Or asked. It wasn't that one. Was probably a dumb question, but like relevant to him. But he didn't like that one either. So maybe I'm a marked man now. So his, his initial response was, that's a shit question. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know, know why like you're it. asking that. And it's um, which he is, he is entitled to his opinion. He can say whatever um, he wants. One of the interesting things is that other reporters in the room actually came to your defense. Uh, Ed Pickering, who's yep. the editor-in-chief of Ruler, who was sitting right in front of, of Wolfenart, basically piped well, up and said... Yeah, that's well, a valid question. Well, what happened before is that he was answering, and I was like being like, he was he was like looking at me like, why are you asking that? And I was like, I beckoned for the mic back over, and 
ASO don't really want, they don't really want a whole like back and forth. But then well, I was like, yeah, give them the mic back. And I was like, well, Gonastor is a fair question. I didn't think it was a shit question. So that's your winner of the Tour de France. So then, what do you want to say? And then he was still was reticent. And then Ed Pickering was like, yeah, was like, it's a fair question. I just answer. And then he did. Then he did give an answer. He did. In we kind of came around eventually to a very similar answer to what Jonas said. And though they were in the same room, we don't actually think that Wout van Aert heard what Jonas no. said. He was just on his phone, like, not paying attention. Yeah. Um, and didn't, like, look up and was like, oh, that's and a And he's question. probably had that question a lot more than Jonas has. So yeah. he probably is sick of it by this point. And he basically pivoted into the, a similar answer, which is like, yeah, our team does X, Y, Z. Yeah. Um, and I'm Wout van Aert. And I'm Wout van Aert, and I have infinite power. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> The, and only, the only time that he did look up from his phone, I was watching him like a oh, little yeah. creep. Because <laughs> that's what I do. That's that's my that's my job at Cycling Tips, just observe. So he he was honestly just on his phone the entire time, just sitting next to a next to a bin, next to a promotional poster for I don't know Arctic Race of Norway or something like some race that nobody cares about, uh, and. That's so rude, and you're going to Norway next month. I am going to Norway, but I'm not going to the Arctic race of Norway. Anyway, anyway so he was he was just twiddling around on his phone, and the only time that he looked up and he he heard his name, people were asking Jonas Vingegaard whether uh, whether he would be concerned about mm. uh, competing for team leadership with Wout van Aert. Yeah. And Vingegaard gave a very diplomatic answer. And I think for, for Wout van Aert, it was probably a little bit of a silly question because I'd, I don't necessarily get the sense that he wants to be a Grand Tour leader. I think no. it was, it was Pippa just kind of like, Pippa oh, this Sorry is... to keep referencing it, but it's, yeah. I thought I'd bring the context back in of what... I, I, Josh here has the actual quote on his phone. So I'm going to... The, the, the Wout response. Oh, yeah. Which was... When he finally kind of came around to it, mm. when he stopped essentially telling you that your question was shit. Not essentially, actually telling you that actually, your question was shit. It's in my face. Yeah. yeah. Um, he said, we worked super hard for this. Cycling has changed, which is probably, hopefully true. And I don't like it that we have to keep replying on these things. We have to pass controls every moment of the year, not just in the Tour de France. They come to our house. If you look at our team, how we've developed over the past years, it didn't come out of nowhere. So, like, a pretty good answer. Yeah. I mean, the, the reality is they're trying to prove a negative, right? It's, it's essentially impossible to just sit up there and be like, well, say anything other than, like, no, we didn't. Uh, there's no there's no evidence in either direction the thing in is, that conversation. Instead of being angry at the journalists who asked the questions, be angry at the people who did dope, and there are a lot of them still within cycling, and be angry at them. A lot of them work at both of these teams. Yes, and be angry at them for causing this whole situation where then we turn around and be like... Why are you different? Like we're not sitting. You don't want to sit there just like lapping it all up, being like, "Wow, look at all this." It's like, yeah, you got at some, like obviously it's a sometimes it's a fine line between obviously everyone enjoys the sport and you want to write about it and how amazing it is and obviously we all love it. But at some point you have to ask tricky questions to 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 test the waters and to yeah. keep to try and keep people honest and know that you're thinking these thoughts. Well, I think I think that the. The Peloton is in a funny place right now because the press corps has a longer memory than the Peloton does. Because, frankly, yeah. we're older. And, <laughs> like, I was at Tours de France 
where people were busted, like busted for doping. Not I, even I, that I literally, I, like, I, I've you know, I've hung on hotel gates waiting for riders yeah. to come out of hotels. Like I remember this, and I am not even a particularly old person in the press room. There are there are plenty who are decade have been doing it for decades longer than yeah. I have. We have long memories. We lived through this, mm. and the riders, frankly, most of them at this point haven't. Like this, we're we're, we're entering the first couple of years where you've got riders who never sort of like in their conscious memory really remember this right they were 10 when this stuff happened whereas there are people in that press room who were 40 when this stuff happened and it's going to take us it's going to frankly it's going to take us longer to forget than, than it's going to take them and we don't really have the same incentive they do to stop talking about it the thing the juxtaposition as well between Jonas's answer and Wavenart's answer really made it clear as well because you have Jonas Vingegaard Saying they're totally clean, which is a big. St uh, it sounds weird, but it's a big it's step a good to statement. say that. It's, it's a, a good, good and big setup. statement. And yeah. so that he, Walt Van Aert could have come up and said exactly the same thing. Evan would have written, you know, yeah. that would be, yeah. that'd be the story. Like, you last little bit there, yeah, is when they were walking out. You, yeah, I had a feeling they like one of them might come and sit by. So I just, I, I was like, I just turn off. I'm annoyed. I turn off my recorder because I can't remember exactly the conversation. And I just started. I was standing right next to you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, Ard Behrens, who's the press officer at Yumbo, yeah. and Walt Van Art, who is, by the way, an enormous human being. Yeah, right. Terrifyingly, of all the people to like get into a little tiff with in yeah. a peloton. That's the lot. Maybe Roger Kluger. He would bigger. murder. He would murder us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ard Behrens, however, less threatening than Walt Van Art. Anyway, they come over, and Ard is basically he's trying to explain to you like this is why we didn't like the question. And yeah, he was just he was just saying like he was he was very I thought he'd be angrier or like less um, friendly. He's quite level-headed, I think. He's yeah. quite level-headed. So like, look, we we are to we're we're totally clean. Like yeah. you know, we're totally clean. Like, and I was like, sure. I was like, yeah, sure. Like, I was like, like Jonas had a great answer. Yeah. Wow, didn't. And I think it's a fair it's a fair question. Like Jonas didn't complain. Wow, yeah. did. It's a fair question. And then Wow kind of came back over and was like, the reason why we don't like this question, and I'm paraphrasing here. The reason why we don't like this question is because it, like the the sort of baseline assumption that it sits under yeah. is that is that we're dirty, right? And we don't like that. And so that is also valid and makes sense. But at the same time, I think he was kind of taking the worst angle. I on, get on what I get where him. he's coming from. And I said I said to him and Art, I was like, yeah, sure. If I'm in your position, which obviously I would never be in a million years, <laughs> I probably wouldn't like it either. If I've like yeah. worked really hard and am clean. And then people are just like trying to sully my reputation or whatever. But um, but then how else do you pose that question? Yeah. Are you guys the cleanest of all time? <laughs> is that what they would like me to ask? Because that would be that would be taken the wrong way as well. It would. Yeah, it's, a tricky, yeah, it was it's, it's a tricky thing to navigate. I think I think kudos to both Kat, Kate Wagner and yourself for asking the question. I you know I'm sure that there are fans out there who probably would. Kind of prefer that the question never be asked. Like, I, I, we made the decision earlier to not put this on socials. Just essentially, well, not not put it on social at all, but like not put a quote, quote card like up on social. Just just quotes. to kind of prevent the the to like tit for tat back and forth that would happen on Instagram because we just know that that's that's what happens. And there's there's a lot of people who just, you know, cycling is a beautiful sport. We just finished a beautiful Tour de France, one of the best Tour de, Tours de France we've had in, in years. I'm sure there are people out there that are like, why are we talking about this? Well. Because there were lots of beautiful tours to France in from 1993 to 2006 too, and it's it sort of it's worth us bringing up every once in a while, and at least poking and prodding and reminding 
those in power, so to speak, that that yeah. people are trying to pay attention. It's also not it, it's not asking the question to get a story, and like the whole argument that like you know a, a doper would never say that he'd dope, so the question is stupid, is like redund completely redundant. It's it's about it, it. The question isn't to make a story. I I think. I mean, they'll think completely differently. It's yeah. to, it's, it's if you don't ask the well, question. I think it's a failing on the the press call. Just I to think be clear, you have to write it. And you ask asked it. the question, and we were not the first to get the story up. Yeah, <laughs> so but that's how it works not, these days. It doesn't it. matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah. It's one but story. It's also important to get a response on the record, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And and the thing that that's the that's the thing for Wat Van Aert is that. Maybe he just was sick of it, but he made an error of judgment there. And if he could go back, I'm sure he would. Well, who knows? But oh, I definitely wouldn't have liked him to answer the question that way. Yeah. And like, Jonas's answer, great. Yeah. Wout's answer, bad. <laughs> bad. Even though he doesn't like the framing of it, it's just a bad look. And I think that's that's a that's a valid opinion to have. That it's not yeah. a good answer. I, I mean, I'm personally I'm pleased that this is the first time we've really had to talk about doping this entire Tour de France. Um, <laughs> but it is it is. I reject the the argument that it's something that should just essentially be ignored and I, avoided. I also don't think it should take anything away from the way they've raced this no. tour and what they've achieved because they've done, they've raced a phenomenal race and made it exciting and they've achieved everything and there is there is no there is no on my part there's no doubt. There's no evidence in any yeah, there's none. None. That we you don't that, have the evidence you can't doubt. Yep. Anyway, Cool, that's the heaviest we've ever got on this podcast. We saved it for the the final night. How are your chebs, Johnny? Uh, they were uh, flickering a bit when I was asking the question and directly after, but they've they've quietened down now. <laughs> well, we, we can bring them. We can bring. Uh, we can have some more fun tomorrow, can't Oh, we? tomorrow will be. Will it be full? Basically full? a banter cast. Okay, yeah. great. We have been recording for quite a while. Johnny and I have a story. Huh. Uh, from from last night. But are we... Uh, should we save that for tomorrow? We'll save that for tomorrow. No, I want it now. No, 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 no. We've, no. Uh, we've sort of been teasing Johnny and... Uh, not Johnny. Johnny, <laughs> is, Johnny is one of the protagonists in this story. We've been teasing Mikey and Kaylee with... There's a lot of E's. Of what? Mikey, Kaylee and Johnny? Yeah, it's terrible. An E and... It's true sort of white guy name, isn't it? Everyone's <laughs> name ends in an E. Well, I think Ian is probably a whiter name than any of them. Oh, Ian did get called Lane, though, at the check-in. It was great. Yes. But the guy yeah. didn't know he had a Welsh name, which was blew everyone's mind. The man at the check-in was Huff. the most extremely, deeply conversational Frenchman that <laughs> I've impressive. ever come across. For about 30 minutes, I would say, was just talking was to wild. Johnny about his... Was this the guy that helped me find the parking space? Maybe. <laughs> was his name Hugo? I, don't, I didn't ask. <laughs> I had enough time standing in front of him listening to stories that I read his name tag about uh, a dozen times. Probably more. Probably more. Anyway, I was hiding behind a pillar, so I, yeah, I didn't were. have to engage. <laughs> but we have, a, we have a story, Johnny and I. I don't want to hype it up too much because it's... it was pretty silly. But, uh, but anyway, we'll we've, been, we've been withholding this story from right. Kaylee and from Mikey. I have to edit this podcast, so I'm literally cutting you off right now. Yeah, okay. That's fine. Because our... Phenomenal editor and producer Matt Field is off tonight, and I think Mal, our other editor, is also off tonight. And so we basically Wait, decided that I'm going to stay up until about midnight to <laughs> get this get this podcast out the door. Um, actually, later because it's already 11:20. Um, great. <laughs> Luckily, our train is at 8 p.m. 8 a.m. 8 a.m. 
Uh, that's just the Tour de France. If I sleep more than six hours a night, I don't know what to do with myself. Uh, <laughs> all right, we're going to be back tomorrow from the Champs. We are on a train from Limoges to Gare-Austerlitz in, uh, in Paris, Paris, tomorrow. And we will get in uh, around 11, which gives us just enough time to get over to the women's race, the mm. Tour de France Femme avec Zwift, that starts tomorrow. Matt Deneef and Amy Jones are hitting the ground. Actually, they're already on the ground in Paris today. They're going to be covering that race for the entire week. Abby Mickey is also going to be sort of helping out from home and doing some podcast stuff. Here is my request to you if you've been listening to this daily podcast. Also, head over to the Freewheeling podcast, wherever you get your pods, and subscribe there as well. Because here's what we're going to do. For the first couple days, we're going to run daily Tour de France Femme podcasts on both channels. So this channel that you're already subscribed to and Freewheeling. But on Freewheeling, you're going to get way more. You're going to get essentially additional insider interviews, long interviews, sort of like mini documentary kind of things, all sorts of extra podcast content over on Freewheeling. So I want everybody, everybody listening right now, type in Freewheeling Podcast on your podcast app. Subscribe to that as well. Make sure you don't miss anything we've got coming up from the Tour de France Femme. And with that, we're out. We'll be back from the Champs-Élysées tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.